Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be picking up the text in Genesis 2, verse 18. We read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Now God willing, we'll be able to get through all of this today. <laughs> uh, if you've been with the podcast for a while, you may chuckle along with me, but I think it's possible to do this. In this section here, and really this section goes uh, from verse 18 down to the end of the chapters we just read. Uh, we we have really this is the creation of Eve. This is the completion of the creation of humanity. This is also the institution of marriage. We touched on this a little bit when we uh, made inference to it and kind of discussed the things around what it was to be made in the image of God and male and female. Uh, when God says that back in chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Uh, but here we get more of that detail, because remember, we have a broad overview, a sweeping overview in chapter one, and then we dive in to the fine details of day six in chapter two. So the first thing we have to discuss here is this idea that God said in this statement that comes forward in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, we in our minds, go back to the end of chapter 1, verse 31, where God saw, saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We have that superlative moral statement about creation. I just want to remind you, I think it's easily explained that what's happening here is we're not done with creation yet. So I think that the utterance that happened at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, happens after all of these things take place, because this is still within the realm of the sixth day. And so when he says it is not good, he's not saying that there's something lacking. He's saying, or that there's something immoral or something evil. What he's saying is it's not complete. And again, we said that the formation of man is very different than the formation of the animals that proceed. And we already have that creation of man that we've discussed before. He's actually formed instead of just spoken into existence. He's formed from the dust of the ground and God breathes into his nostrils, the breath of life and man becomes a living being. And 
it's interesting. This is the basis, by the way, uh, for uh, some of the funeral practices that we have today. For instance, at the graveside, uh, after the funeral service, if there is a funeral service, everything's all crazy these days. I've seen seen it always now in the last couple of years uh, where they forego the indoor service. I think mostly that's coming back now. Uh, but I, I'd been to a few funerals during 2020 and 2021 where it was all outdoors, which is interesting in and of itself. That's fine. doesn't have to be in, inside. But usually at the graveside, when the coffin or the remains are going to be buried, uh, interred in the ground, uh, then there is a little bit of, of graveside that, that happens there. And sometimes the traditional reading uh, will incorporate some of these type of verses and verses of comfort and things. But we have this idea of dust to dust and ashes to ashes. And really that is that is a recognition of the truth that we see in this verse that, uh, or in this passage that man is created from the dust of the ground and because he's created from dust, so he will return to dust. Uh, also interesting, uh, some of the things, uh, the forums that I'm on and things like that in ministry, uh, this just came up. Somebody had posted a question about the whole, uh, morality and nature of cremation. Um, I think traditionally Christians, have gone away from uh, from cremation because of symbolism, but we understand theologically that we have you know there's no grounds to stand on to say that that we we can't be cremated or that that somehow is going to ruin the resurrection. After all, everybody gets resurrected. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And when we get to the book of Revelation, in chapter 20 specifically, with the great white throne judgment, we're told there that the sea gives up the dead which are in it, uh, right? And the earth gives up the dead which are in it. Well, that's really interesting when you think about people who have died at sea, and you think about how marine life works. I mean, their remains aren't anywhere. You can't even find their bones after a a while, right? Uh, But then somebody had also posted, uh, interesting study had been done on decomposition, various stages and whatnot. And basically the the end of that story without going into too much detail is that a a body that is buried uh, traditionally, uh, you know, uh, foregone cremation uh, after 100 years has returned to dust. Uh, If you were to, to dig up that uh, and, and look at at the remains after 100 years, there might be a couple teeth left uh, and synthetic material, if there were any synthetic fibers from the, the clothing that they were buried in, but the rest of the body, including the bones and everything, would all be uh, rendered into dust. And that's just the way it happens. And so we are taken from the dust, we're formed from it, and we ultimately return to it. And it's a good lesson for us uh, in, in that. So when he says that it's not good, it's not really a moral proclamation here. It's really a statement of incompletion. And he's noticing that this is uh, this has to do with Adam's relationship and how he's going to function and carry out the things that God has told him to do. Remember, uh, we, we already have a warning that has been issued. And once Eve is created, then there will be a mandate. Uh, obviously, he's been put in the garden to work it and to keep it. And then in addition to that, there's going to be the filling of the earth and the subduing of the earth. And and so we see that. But then we also notice in verse 18 that everything that follows, including the naming of all the animals, has to do with Adam being alone. 
So this isn't so much the focus on him naming the animals as it is an exercise for him to come to a complete realization that he is in fact alone and all the animals around him are not. So then we are confronted with this next phrase where God says, I will make him a helper fit for him. And in the old English, in the King James, we have help uh, a help meet for him uh, because the, the language was different uh, 400 years ago. And so we have this idea of help meet, help mate. I'm not sure just how helpful <laughs> the older English is. Uh, what is helpful is to get right to the verb here uh, in the original language, which is not English. I feel that I should just point that out every once in a while. The original language, at least that Genesis was given in, is Hebrew. And this word for helper uh, in, in its nominative form here is is the word, uh, the Hebrew word azer. Okay. Uh, okay. So that, that doesn't really mean anything and that's fine. But what we really need to know from this, uh, Azer here is that the verbal form of this is azar. And the reason you need to know that is because it's not unique to this passage. Uh, this is not a derogatory term in any way. It is not something that puts woman down and any of these things. I mean, we believe in a true, uh, a complimentary, we, if we're going to use some of these modern labels, then what we, I believe the Bible teaches is a complementary model where God created two distinct genders and for different purposes, uh, in no way is there any superiority uh, of one over the other. They each have their strengths. And so when he says a helper, this is not a proclamation of God, of man's superiority. But what he's saying is that man is incomplete and he needs someone to help him. And, and really what this word is, is someone to provide assistance. And what's really fascinating about this is that this is actually used of God. God is my, my helper in a time of trouble. And he provides that. And, and I hope we remember passages like that. Okay. Um, so, so here we have uh, this idea of helper assistance. Uh, we see it used here in this passage, but then in Hosea chapter 13, verse nine, he destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. God identifies himself to the nation of Israel as their helper. Uh, Psalm 121, verse 1, a psalm of ascents, and we probably know this one very well. I will lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come? We're looking to God to come to our aid, to render assistance in that, and that's the same word that's used. Exodus chapter 18, verse 4, and the name of the other Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Deuteronomy 33, verse 7 and verse 29. Psalm 20, verse 3, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Same verb here. Uh, Psalm 11, uh, sorry, Psalm 115, verses 9 to 11. Psalm 121, 2, we already mentioned verse 1, that Psalm of Ascents, I lift my eyes to the hills from whence or from where does my help come? My help, same verb, comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. And we could go on and on. 
And the point with that is that it is actually talking about the Lord, and we need to make sure that we understand that. And so when he says that he's going to make a help that is fit for him or a helper that is meet for him, uh, probably going to come to a better understanding of whatever that word means through the Hebrew rather than trying to go back into 200 years of English language, but it's going to be something more in line with assistance and coming to the aid of rather than something that is inferior or a position uh, in that way. All right, so let's move on then to verse 19. We read, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So this seems to indicate that the creation of the animals, uh, it all took place on day six, at least uh, came along before Eve. Uh, it, it could be possible. There, there, there's interesting discussion on this. Like, when was Adam formed? When were the, the animals of the field formed and the birds of the air? Uh, and we don't need to be dogmatic on that. Whatever the case is, Adam is here and then the animals are trotted before him and Eve is not made. That's what we need to know. So we don't need to get really into the, the thick weeds on this uh, in this case. Okay. But he brings them out and notice what's lacking here. He's not giving a taxonomy here on fish and the marine life, but it is of every bird of the heavens and every beast of the field. And God supernaturally directs them to Adam. And we shouldn't be surprised that God has just spoken all of this into existence. And, and here we use this, this idea of forming. There's a work that is being done and he's doing this on purpose. Uh, but the point is, is he has complete authority and mastery over all of his creation. No surprise to see this here because we're going to see this in, in chapter six, seven, and eight with the account of the Noahic flood. I think it's in chapter seven where he causes all the different kinds of animals to come two by two to the ark of Noah's day. Uh, again, this is supernatural. This is not, not normal yet. Uh, we find God doing this for a very real purpose. And it was already indicated in verse 18 because Adam is alone and the purpose then of the naming is, is not so that we have an idea of where names have come from, although it does tell us a little bit about Adam's intellect, uh, free from sin, uh, just incredible using his mind uh, to the fullest of its uh, potential in all of this. And he's supposed to come to a conclusion at the end of this. He's going to make observations as he's looking at animals and ba naming them, no doubt, based on their characteristics and the things that he sees just as they walk up to him, all of those things. And he's going to be able to remember all of that, but he's going to notice something in particular, what? That they all have a helper. They all have a companion. In other words, there's male and female of each of the animal kinds. And so we see that whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. So he has the freedom to name things. He gave names to all the livestock, verse 20, to the birds of the heaven and every beast of the field. And now we note that Adam makes this observation, but for Adam, there was not found a helper. There's that word is that is used again. There was not found a helper fit for him. Now, before we move on to the provision of Eve, we have to ask the, the question, is it possible? Well, 
Yes, it is possible because you have to remember that of all the different animals that are in the world today, a lot of them, if you remember your scientific studies and delineations with regards to taxonomy and genus and species and and so forth and kind, you work down the list. Well, you have different kinds. Well, you don't have to name the subspecies that are uh, derivations of that. You know, for instance, we have all these different kinds of dogs in the world today, canines, to include wolf and domestic and and obviously ones from different continents and other countries in the world. Okay, so there's tons of them. But if if Adam was given that task today, does he have to name all, you know, I don't even know what the number is, but let's just say 500 uh, different types, uh, breeds of dog? Well, no. Because no doubt that what God had created was the the father of all dogs, and there's genetic variety, and you know, in there, so that, and we know this to be a fact that the whole idea of like a purebred, when people are getting a purebred of an animal, that's actually not healthy in the long term. After a couple generations of trying to keep the purebred, you're going to introduce, uh, mu- you know, mutations and and other things that are not there. There is no positive mutation and deformities, and they're going to have all kinds of health problems and weak hips and you know lesser bone density and and all of those things that come along with that. So when we find a purebred Chihuahua or a purebred German Shepherd or a, a purebred, you know, fill in the blank there, Rottweiler, uh, we're isolating genes. And you want to get closer to the type of dog that, that Adam, you know, would have seen and had and named that Canis, uh, can, can, Caninus or whatever it is, then you'd have to mix all these together and get something that is, uh, has much more variety in it. Now, regarding that, because he doesn't have to name each of the different types of breeds that come from that, the subspecies uh, that aren't actually different in kind, uh, most people who look at the world today, because keep in mind, he's not naming all the insects or anything, say that he only would have had to name about 2,500. And and the estimations vary somewhere between 2,500 and 4,000. And you say, well, that's a lot, you know, 1,500 different. Okay. Let me just read this, uh, again, taken out of, uh, Jonathan Sarfati. And, and Morris has something similar uh, in this as well, Henry Morris. I think he, he has a larger number, but they both come to a similar conclusion. So uh, he says that kinds are broader than species. There was only a small subset of all kinds. There were probably only a few thousand animals involved at most. Even if we assume that Adam had to name as many as 2,500 kinds of animals, Here it is. Here's the math part. If he took five seconds per kind and took a five-minute break every hour, he could have completed the task in well under four hours. And there's there's evidence for that, and and there's math, and there's there's other people that have made similar arguments. Now, uh, he goes on to say, uh, Jonathan Sarfati, that this hardly seems onerous even for people today. And given that Adam's stamina and memory recall abilities, unlike ours, had not been affected by generations of accumulated genetic defects, that's what we were talking about earlier, since the fall, the problem disappears totally. So in other words, is this an impossibility? Is this a fairy tale that he actually named everything? Well, no, it makes perfect sense, especially in a pre-fallen world. So once that task is complete, 
then he is going to come to the conclusion that he is alone and God is going to provide the solution for that. Well, we're out of time with this particular episode, so we'll come back to the creation of Eve. And there are some interesting things to talk about with that. So look forward to joining with you again in the next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.